Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Kinetic Fitness Show podcast. My name is Ali West and I'm your host as always, and this is episode number 43. Before I introduce today's guest and before we get started, I have got a little bit of news for you guys. You can now leave me a voice note no matter what platform you are listening to this podcast on. So whether it's Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, whatever the case may be, you can leave me a voice note. All you have to do is head to the description or the show notes of this podcast and click on the link to leave me a voice note and you can leave me a voice note. So I want to hear from you guys. I want to start to meet my listeners and I want to hear from you guys and hear what you want to hear more of. Do not hesitate to reach out to me if you want help with your health and well-being and fitness or if you just want to reach out to me and say, Ali, I want to hear about this topic or I'd really love you to discuss this or bring this guest on, just shoot that over to me in a voice note. So simple, so easy, will take you hardly any time at all and I will reply to you. So just get those voice notes sent over to me ASAP and I can help you as much as possible. As well, don't forget to leave a review, like and follow and subscribe to this and share it with your friends and family as well. The more people we can reach, the more people we can make healthier and we can allow and inspire people to live that longer, healthier, happier and more joyful life because that is the mission of this podcast. Let's move on to today's guest and I have a very, very interesting and different episode for you once again. We're going to be talking about music in this episode and how music can help your health and well-being. Not just your mental health, but also your physical health as well. And I have a very unique, inspiring and I'd say amazing guest on board with me today. His name is Bill Protzman and Bill uses music for its entertainment, but also its therapeutic benefit benefits as well. So he has used music as a powerful tool to help people overcome obstacles in their life and also to help them with pains and medical conditions that they've been suffering with, uh, suffering with as well. So he's helped people with Alzheimer's, he's helped people with alcohol and drug addictions, um, stressed out business people, people with physical and emotional injuries, parents that are stressed out, you name it, he's helped them through the power of music. I'm not going to go into much more detail. I'm going to let him tell his story and give you a little bit of a, a backstory on who he is and how he's got to where he is now. But this is going to be really, really interesting and really, really inspiring. If you are into music, if music is a big part of your life, and if you want to learn how music can benefit your health and well-being, this is the episode for you. So let's not waste any more time. You're going to find this really, really fascinating. You're going to be actually, I believe, blown away by some of the stuff that Bill shares with us on this episode. There was a bit of a time difference. I will point out at certain points, the audio goes a little bit dodgy, but it's only for a few seconds. So ride with it. Take on board the information that Bill shares, and I'm sure you're going to love this episode. Let's get stuck into it. Oh, and there's one more thing to point out. At the end, there's a nice little surprise for you and a nice little touch from Bill at the end of this podcast. So stick around to the end for that. Let's get stuck into it. Let's do it. Episode number 43 of the Kinetic Fitness Show with Bill Protzman. Okay, Bill, how are you today? Good morning, Ali. How it's it's uh, it's a great day out here in the middle of nowhere, San Diego, California. Nice. Uh, we've got a bit of a time difference, but it's all good. It's it's seven twenty one, I guess, for you, and three twenty one for me. But that's the beauty of the internet and beauty of uh, Zoom calls that we can do this and touch base, even though we're exactly. How was your day? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yours is just getting started. Mine's pretty much leaning towards the back end of it now, but. I'm having a great day. How about yourself? Good oh, morning. Fantastic. Thank you. Good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before I dive into some of the questions that I really want to ask you, can you just give the listeners and myself a little bit of a backstory about you? So who you are, where you've come from and what you're doing now? Sure. Um, my mom was my first piano teacher and I was three years old. She was experimenting at the time. 
but it turned out that she ultimately would have a piano studio and teach very young kids how to play the piano. It's great for child development. And being an expert in that, she understood it and putting it all together with uh, the, the music just helps you when you're, um, when you're a young child, helps with your brain. We have all this research now that says how great it was. So I was like the guinea pig and I, I rolled through all that and absolutely hated playing the piano until I was about 12. It's, it's difficult. I mean, you're, you're a kid, you wanna be doing kid things, right? And there you are sitting at the piano. But when I was 12, a movie called The Sting came out and I'd learned to play a piece of ragtime and uh, the, the Sting was perfect timing because all of a sudden everybody wanted to hear this music. For heaven's sake, they were putting ragtime on pop radio, right? Right alongside Elton John, you could hear Scott Joplin. So um, I was in high demand <laughs> and, and that changed everything because it turns out that playing the piano is a way for people to connect. And um, here in America, it, it used to be that a hundred years ago, but pianos have sort of become, you know, strange pieces of furniture that sit in people's houses now, instead of being the gathering place. Uh, <laughs> one of the quotes that I love is that at one time in America, there were more pianos than there were bathtubs. So think about that for a moment. Wow. <laughs> so it, it's a great instrument, but it, it isn't one of those things that's easy to quickly uh, you know, pick up and move with you if you want to go play a concert somewhere. So I've been somewhat limited by having a 800 to 1200 pound instrument that I have to move with me. <laughs> but in spite of that, I have had this crazy desire to make music for people who wouldn't otherwise hear it which means I go outside the concert hall and into things like community theater or in, in a, one strange instance, uh, outdoors, to be able to make music for people. And um, I was challenged at one point several years ago by a veteran who, um, a, a military veteran, who grew up uh, as an abused child and a motivational speaker. He does all of this amazing work. And we were on the same program. He came up to me afterward and said, Bill, if I were to challenge you to do what you do, on a hilltop in Afghanistan for active duty soldiers, could you do it? And I thought about that and eventually it, it occurred to me, I don't know why it took so long, that with the streaming services out there right now, you can take music with you anywhere, even to the middle of nowhere, and still be able to make music and connect with people around it. So I, I can now do what I do without an instrument or um, in some cases uh, without a phone because drumming is always a good way of being able to engage with music. All of the things that are music related for me have to do with self-care. So this, this discipline of growing up playing this piano, which you can see, it's sort of the keyboards down here to, to my right. Um, they're things that help us focus our physical, because you have to move your fingers to make the music, our, our mental, you have to think about what you're doing, our emotional, certainly, because the emotional component of the music is almost the most important thing after you play the notes correctly. And then in some ways, uh, the spiritual connection. Um, so all of those disciplines sort of go into making music happen at this crazy, many thousand part, ultra heavy piece of furniture that creates music and it's called a piano. Um, this whole process has, I feel for a long time in my life, uh, been minding me, sort of been keeping me mentally and emotionally uh, sane when I began to become aware of that, and when the research that's come out since about 2000 um, began to explain why that's been so, uh, I had this huge sense of relief. It's like, oh yeah, all of that work and all that time I put in to learn how to play this thing and, and to keep my chops up, and it's, it's all been way beyond sitting and playing a performance. It's gone deeper. It's, it's been a way for me to stay stable in many different ways. And on top of staying stable, it's also been a performance enhancement. Um, they always talk about how music strengthens the left and right brain connection, and that's true, but there are other things about it too um, that help me to recover more quickly from triggers, that help me to become more creative when I need to be. Uh, all of these other aspects of what music does that have not much to do with whether or not you appreciate the sounds you're hearing and everything to do with how those sounds work on, on you physiologically, it's all in there and science is gonna catch up, but we musicians have known this stuff forever and we've been using it to impress audiences and take people on a ride and things like that. But for me, the, the most recent symbol of how this is so incredibly purposeful in our lives 
was that wonderful videotape. Somebody had a smartphone out when the people were singing there around Notre Dame as it burned. And for me, that's just like the, the image, the iconic image of how music works today to connect people and bring them together over their pain in a way that's powerful and uplifting. Um, and the great paradox, of course, is that we like to say we can stop pain and we don't like to, to be able to invite it in. But when that pain comes in, it, it opens us up to the possibility of so much more that we could do or think or be or feel. Uh, if we just allow that pain in, let it work on us and then sort of let it go and open the way for something new. And uh, that's kind of in a nutshell. It's, it's nice that in some ways these images come along because you can say, oh yes, that's how music works. And you can point to the videotape and people are there and you can see on their faces and hear and they're singing and, and watch the poignancy of that, um, of that moment when these strangers came together and just joined in their pain around something that they couldn't stop, but they could certainly feel together. That's the unifying thing about it. And of course, realizing that other people in the world are also sharing that pain with you. And that music is a safe way to be able to allow that to join and, and in many ways, like multiply its power um, exponentially. That's an amazing thing to be able to be part of that. Oh my gosh, dude, that's, that's where it's all at. That is really where it's all at. Yeah. So there you go. There's a short overview. Nice. Go into a little bit more detail then, Bill, about how it's how music has helped you personally, because I, I know from what I've read about you and some, listening to some of your other podcasts, you've had a few mental health issues and you've worked with people. Oh, yeah. with, but let's talk about, before we talk about how you've helped others, let's talk about how music has helped you personally first. So I'm a, um, if you're to diagnose me, that you would find that I'm chronically depressed and uh, for a long time, and that I also have tendencies that are schizophrenic. So I'm off the scale both sides. And um, that doesn't do anything for science because they go, well, Bill's just an outlier. <laughs> so we can't help him, right? There's nothing we can do to, to... there is, of course. But what I've discovered about this um, is that music works best for people who are the most messed up, if you will. I'm not anywhere near as messed up as some of the homeless people that I teach regularly who have other issues that are way stronger than mine. But the idea is that if you have something that's an intervention, when you do slide off the scale to one way or the other, um, having that intervention can help you process through whatever those feelings are, uh, much more safely than you could if you were in care or taking meds or whatever else. I've only learned all of that by doing my own therapy, right? So taking, I don't know how many years worth of therapy has been a huge learning lesson for me. And everything that I learned about myself connects back to something about music that has been there uh, minding me all of my life, if you will. If I get really depressed, I have a, an instrument that I can use to play that depression in a way that uh, removes the charge from it and leaves me with whatever the lesson is that I need at that moment. Uh, the Buddhists like to say all life is so sorrowful and well, three-fourths of what we can feel is not so great. You've got sorrow and fear and anger and then only one-fourth of us is sort of tuned up to experience joy. So at least three-quarters of what we can feel are things that we don't necessarily like, but those things are there to, to guide us. They're like guardrails and being able to know where your limits are with those guardrails in place and sort of objectively experience yourself being scared of something as you move down the process um, without so much of the charge impacting your process, your progress through that, uh, that's a really healthy thing. So whether it's mindfulness or music, uh, there are terms for these things now. We talk about emotional intelligence, all of that. But I think it goes way deeper than the brain. It goes to just how do we experience that? What, what on a gut level do you feel? And if you're aware of that and you can observe that and you can allow yourself as a human being to be okay with that emotion, however strong it might be, provided that you're in safety, uh, you have an opportunity to find out where that will take you. And music has minded me in many ways, including when I was considering taking my own life. Uh, music was there to give me a way to process those feelings in safety without having to do anything about them right away. And um, that's a huge insight for me 
people don't always tell you in therapy, Bill, well, if you're feeling angry right now, uh, keep on feeling angry. <laughs> but let's find out what's in that anger for you. Uh, most of the time you get the, don't be sad, Billy. Don't be too, don't be scared. There's nothing to be afraid of. Well, there's plenty to be afraid of. You're scared, you're scared. You know, don't tell me to not be scared when I'm feeling terror. Uh, that's something I need to feel. So uh, music has reminded me uh, in, in ways that are life-giving and, and in, certain, in a certain sense, um, I'm still breathing because of it. Not only did it intervene when I felt most down, but it's also given me meaning. So the opportunity to talk about this and do this and play for people, and just that, there's huge meaning in that for me that animates what I do and keeps me in, in the game, so to speak, even when I feel like checking out of it. Yeah, it gives you a purpose, so to speak. So completely, yes. Perfect. That's powerful. I love that. It is. Let's talk then now, Bill, about some problems that you see time and time again with the people that you deal with. So I know you move in different circles with the people that you try and help through music. Um, what are, what would you say, sorry, are some of the most common problems or the common issues that you see time and time again with the people that you're working with in, in relation to health? I'm talking about health issues here. Of course. So uh, over the last 10 years, I've spent a lot of time um, volunteering with veterans with post-traumatic stress, some with traumatic brain injury, um, many times there are, there are physical issues that you can see. Uh, I spend a lot of time volunteering with homeless people. And there's a lot of commonality between folks who are, um, who are in it in a, in a way that they didn't choose. So if you're a blown up veteran, you have post-traumatic stress, if you're living on the streets, these are things that came to you because of choices that you made. But the commonality around all of them is this a higher level of pain than most of the normal quote people in the world would experience. And in that place, there's so much that can be done because you're more ready, you're more open. When you're that vulnerable, there's an opportunity there to explore parts of you that most of us keep masked and keep covered up. So in that world of at-risk people, there's this commonality of openness and willingness and um, an awareness of how things are, which isn't always great, that enlivens your desire to make them better. Sadly, for a lot of people in that place, they're never going to get out of it for whatever reasons. Um, I'm privileged to have worked with people who are in recovery. I haven't worked with any straight addicts yet. That's the 12-step people who take care of that. But people in recovery have this sense of wanting something else. Um, it may not happen if the mental illness is severe right? Um, it may not happen if there's a loss of meaning, if, if somebody's given up. But the opportunity in that place, by and large, is motivating people to, to move out of that in whatever way that they can. So in that risk area, oh, it's, it's the open door. It's the place where so much work can get done. Um, I see recently on LinkedIn that there's a lot of professionals who are in a similar place where they're just thinking, what, what am I going to do next, right? What's, what's out there for me? I've, I've been a parent for 20 years. I want to go back in the workforce. What, how can I do this? Or I've been in the workforce 20 years and it's just a dead end. What do I do now? And um, that it's not a desperation so much as it is a questioning. And uh, that questioning puts you in a place where you're ready to do some work. And oftentimes, uh, the work gets pretty complex. You go to therapy, you take meds. It just it becomes this crazy uh, discipline process of not really certain what your next step will be. And you've got a therapist guiding you and that's all great, but it's just this long tunnel. Uh, I experienced that when I went voluntarily through trauma therapy. And we didn't, didn't know what was gonna happen next. It's nonlinear, but it's there, it's available. Um, I'm not in any way suggesting that if you need therapy, you should not do it, but having an adjunct, uh, what we call adjunct treatment, that you can go to a complementing or integrative um, therapy to use, whether it's yoga or meditation or music or fly fishing, there's lots of complementary and integrative therapies that are out there. Uh, these things can just help buoy your process as you go through, in my case, trauma therapy or um, even a career change could be a, a, a trauma-inducing, a stress-inducing thing. Uh, so these tools are out there. In the professional world, 
there's more of an awareness in the professional world of a quick fix. Uh, in the West, I think we've gotten to this place where, oh, something's wrong with me, I should go see a doctor. Provided you pick the right doctor, you're probably gonna get some help. But there's not so much an awareness of something's wrong with me, um, let's see what that might be. Let's go inside and, and, and internalize and, and do practices that allow us to unpack that and find out what the issues are and what the rewards are and, and, and stay in that process as an individual doing good work for yourself. Um, as, as I said earlier, you know, grab treatment if you need it. If you need the guidance, I wasn't going to do trauma therapy on my own. So that was an amazingly powerful process because I had my tools and my own practices that I could use to support my journey through a traumatic memory and the release of the energy related to them. Um, am I getting anywhere close to the answer to your question here? I, I, I think it's, it's that two-group thing that I want to leave you with. The at-risk yeah. people who, can really, who are really ready to go, and the rest of us who are like, oh, well, I don't know, I like music, but right, how does it work? I think uh, what well, the original question was, yeah, I mean, problems, but I guess in the, the problems that you deal with are, from what you've said there, is that it's the, the main ones are, it's, it's a lot of mental health, and it's when you go to the working professionals, they're just jacked up on stress, aren't they? So that's one of the their big issues. Yeah, it, you got to stop that stress before you can do anything useful. Yeah. Right. Change the distress into eustress. That's a word from a while ago. I like it. <laughs> Tell that me that and talk me through the how now then. So how can music help? How can it impact people that are having these issues or not even just people that are having the issues? How can it improve health just in, in, in general? In general. So the key well, talk to, about, talk about those individuals first, like how it can help the, the, the individuals that we've just mentioned, those ones that are maybe had more trauma in their life that are probably having bigger issues in, in inverted commas than others. Yeah. And then talk about in general as well, how it can help health in general. Well, so the physiology is the same. So uh, sound and rhythm are things that our human body actually makes. Our heart beats. Vibration. Uh, vibration. Yeah, it's all about vibration. And we live in a universe where vibration is what makes it all go. So uh, we're resonators. Our human system is a resonator. Um, you can put on bone conducting headphones where your ears are not engaged. And through the vibration in the headphones, you can actually hear the music playing. And the idea is to engage with music, you need that vibration in your body some way. It needs to resonate in your ears. Um, if you go to a big enough concert, you can hear it like bouncing around in your internal organs if the, if the volume's loud enough, which is a great experience, by the way. <laughs> so uh, if you get that vibration going, uh, you can't avoid the response to it. We're just set up that way. You, you're gonna go to a, a movie and the soundtrack is scary, you're gonna feel fear. Even with the visual gone, that music would still trigger your fear. So becoming aware is the first step of what sound is doing to us. And a lot of us love music and it's in the background all the time and we listen to things, but when you really start to get into it and allow yourself to be completely present for music, you can become aware of how it's working on you. You can become aware of sounds that, that trigger specific emotion in you. And once you become aware of the sounds that trigger that emotion, You've got something. Because there will be times where you need to be sad. It's difficult to cry in some cases, but we have to let that go. Um, there are, most of the adrenaline-based feelings, like the fear and anger, we don't have a choice about that stuff. It comes at us. And we, by the time we've recognized what's going on, it's too late. The, the physiology has already taken over. The adrenaline's already in your system. You're already responding to the person who cut you off in traffic or whatever it is. So being able to have music to mind you in that situation or even to trigger that situation is very helpful. Okay, so why? Um, and by the way, let's not leave out joy because there are times where you're sad and you just want to feel something else. And joyful music will do that for you as well. It really will change your affect from a sad to a joy. So why is this all important? A lot of us stuff our feelings. I mean, we're taught to do that. Don't be scared, right? And that's okay as far as it goes, but too much of that, making a practice of that is, is harmful. Um, 
I've been told part of the reason that I have been so chronically depressed is that I'm very good at stuffing the feelings that I don't want. And by stuffing that and not allowing it out in a way that's safe and healthy and therapeutic, I've built up this reservoir of things that I can't express, which then turn into things that leak out in some way, which could be any kind of aberrant behavior. But in my case, it was, it was sadness. It was chronic sadness. So, um, I've become an advocate of knowing what the music is that you need and then using that music intentionally to feel things, even if you can't do it in the moment. Like if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm, I'm not immediately going to hit Metallica, even though I wish I could, because I need that release. I, yeah. I need something that gets my anger going, right? And lets it flow safely. So in that moment, even if I can't do it, I promise myself that later I'm going to give myself some anger music in a safe place where I can experience that emotion without having to uh, actually do anything with it, just allow it to come in. It's kind of like letting off a little bit of the steam here and there. Yeah. And when I look around at chronic stress, I, I see that because I've been there as a reservoir of feelings that are unexpressed, you know? So um, you're, it's, what you said, sorry to interrupt you, Bill, but what you, what I keep getting from everything you're saying is that we can use you, me, anyone can use music as a form of expression to get our emotions out. We can use different genres or different types of music to express those emotions in a more useful and probably more productive way. Exactly. We're just set up that way. The human system is set up to do that. And rather than limiting it, go for it. I'll ask people sometimes, you know, what's your angry music? And they'll look at me funny and they'll go, well, uh, well, I, I listen to Amazing Grace, and um, I like ambient music. They'll name all these sort of peaceful things or spiritual things. They have nothing to do with anger, right? But for them, that's their anger music. And even though I know that those songs don't trigger my anger, maybe they do for that person. Yeah. And that's great. Go for it. If that's your anger music, then that's amazing. Be with that. That'll trigger your anger. But it's this incredible rabbit hole, right? So you can start just sort of dipping your toe into the musical pond that's there and finding out what the music you love is doing to you. And if it's all pop candy sugar, well, your diet needs to be a little bit more balanced, right? You need to put some meat back into that diet. Like we were talking earlier, your exploration of classical music has been uh, something new for you. Yeah. And there's so much music and it's all free mostly. Um, and just go for it. Find out what that stuff does to you. But don't take anybody's word for it. You know, I'm not gonna sit here and say, well, if you listen to this, you'll be happy. Oh, I'd be wrong uh, because, you know, 7 billion in one chance that I've hit the happy music that works for you. <laughs> it's just, we're so individual that way. Yeah. I'm going to uh, flip the, uh, flip the script a little bit because sure. we've spoken for the last 20 minutes, the vast majority of this podcast about how powerful and uh, powerful from the terms of a positive impact music can be, but where, where, where does the line get drawn in terms of when can music go the other way and be a, a negative uh, negative thing or a negative aspect because you'll probably know this but maybe the listeners don't know but an example that comes into mind is during the first and second world wars when the nazi germany controlled the music that they were putting out to the german population and made it very propaganda with these these racists and fascist ideologies and then the whole nation was technically brainwashed but so when does when can music have a detrimental effect and go the other way as opposed to being positive i love this question the obvious uh, answer first of all is if you turn it up too loud you're going to damage your ears um, <laughs> okay. most musicians like me uh, suffer but my mom was right all those years telling me to turn my music yeah, down. she was but but there's ways of hearing it loud right so i use ear protection um and I'll go to hear Owl City. It's a great e EMD, EDM, electronic dance, but EDM. Um, it'll shake your internal organs. When we went to hear that, I had my ear, ear protection on. I heard plenty fine, but I got the experience. And I wanted the physiological experience of that. So, yeah, just don't turn it up too loud. Use over-the-head earphones instead of the earbuds, which are more prone to, um, to damage. So that's the obvious physical answer. Uh, the one that isn't so obvious. <laughs> How can it damage you? Music is manipulation, and when musicians give you a concert, they're giving you an emotional experience. 
and it's very precise. Uh, Sentinels are set up to take you up a, a slope, reach a peak, and then gently let you down. And if you're at a stadium concert, the moment where everybody flicks their lighters, that's the moment of unity. So they've, they've taken you on this ride up the, up the slope, and they're going to dip back just a little bit for that ballad. And that ballad's going to bring everybody together. And then they're going to go on and do another hour, you know, with three encores or whatever it is, um, and it'll just be a great time. But the moment that everybody comes together is when all the lighters go up. So there's a manipulation in this. And like everything, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. So you hope that the people who are programming the show have thought about your, your sanity, right? They're not going to lead you into a place that, that's scary or where you don't belong unless they're going to also lead you out of that. You mentioned the, um, the great, uh, I don't want to call it, 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 military marching music. There's, there's a huge um, impetus to movement in that music as well as other kinds. And getting that adrenaline going and just the rush of that kind of music is a hugely powerful thing, especially if you've got people marching around. If you're part of it, marching in a marching band or whatever, you're going to feel that. So one must be careful if you're going to deploy that kind of power, that you deploy it for good. And as you pointed out, it can go for good or bad. Um, we used to have songs, uh, the labor unions in the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, um, used to have songs that were company songs, like football fight songs, right? You'd have every club has their own music that goes around that animates them and gets all the fans going, right? And that's a really positive use of that kind of music. A lot of that, except maybe for the, the fight songs, have, have gone, has gone away now. We don't really have groups with musical identity that way, where music is all about what they do, with one exception, and that's in church. Mm. Um, in, in, in church, the idea of the music, the worship that happens before the sermon, is to get people on the same page and allow you to bring whatever you've brought with you and kind of unpack that a little bit until you reach a level of entrainment with everyone else in the room. So here's a responsible way of using that um, without harm. I often, before a, a business meeting, will take my cell phone out and put a drum track on there and just have a click track going, dun, 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 whatever, in the background. Maybe some people hear it, maybe they don't. But subconsciously, that, just that little click gets everybody on the same emotional page. And it's total manipulation. But it's also very useful because what do you want? You want everybody, everybody who's there wants to be on the same page when they're in the meeting and ready to have a conversation about something. So um, there, while there can be great harm in it, there's, there's also this magic that, is, uh, that takes advantage of us as human beings to resonate around something good and to be able to, uh, to join together in something, in some useful activity that's positive. It's not just stopping the crazy. It's allowing the crazy, all the butterflies to fly in the same direction, yeah. if you will. It goes um, back to what so, you said, said earlier about, and it's funny you should mention this word because this word has come up multiple times on my podcast and it's the word awareness. It's about being aware. And yeah. when you're aware of how that music is affecting you and impacting you and what it's doing to your, your body and your emotions, then you can make the right choices, can't you? Because if you're not aware, if you're just mindlessly listening to it, which you can do because we've all been in a, in a store or in a shop and the music's playing and it's just there. But when you yeah. are directly listening to it through choice and you're aware of what's happening to your body, then you can, it can impact you in the right way. So of course. it's key. Um, think about the last time you're in a dance club. It's a terrible place to do homework. <laughs> yeah. Right, but the music, the environment, everything is set up for to encourage dancing and connection and, and just fun. Great environment, great use of music. But as again, you wouldn't put that in the study hall. Well, you might put it in one in a certain kind of study hall where people who need that kind of music to slow down enough uh, can study. I have a schizophrenic buddy, and for him to slow down, he needs to use heavy metal because that's what dials his brain back to a level where he can interact with like normal people, right? And that's just how physiologically it works for him. The rest of us, we'd be out dancing someplace, but he's, he's focusing in, which is, it, it's marvelous. It, and it's so individual too. It's, it's, it's really hard to make blanket statements. And we have the crazy, you know, the, the drug testing associated says, oh, it's safe. Everybody can use this drug for, you know, depression. Well, that, that may be true, but 
I like to read the side effects and see who are the people that are not responding to this drug and what do they need? <laughs> Those are the people that interest me, right? Yeah. It, it, would you say then that the type, the type of music or the genre of music or the frequency of music is solely individual or have you come across cases where, or in your experience, have you experienced times where certain types of music work better than others or is it just completely individualized? I'd like to say it's individualized, but we know that that isn't true. Um, how would pop bands have fans if it was individualized? And uh, I, I think that there's another component to that, but to answer your first question, I think all of us have an individual slice of sound that is most meaningful for us in different situations. And the awareness of what that is, is not something that is so, um, prevalent in the world these days. Uh, music education has been terrible for the last 20, 30 years. And early exper experience and exposure to music is not something that most people have. Um, by that, I mean exposure to it in a class environment where you're doing something with other people in an educational way, even if that's just listening to some music or being part of the choir in grade school. So um, having said that, that works. But in the big fan situation, for me, it feels like Ariana Grande, for example, is speaking to people who don't otherwise have a voice. And the voice that they have listening to her music allows them to have a form of expression that they don't have in, a, in another way. And uh, that's very healthy, you know? And the more people that, that can be a part of that, the better, because at least that's engagement with music in a conscious way. It's not just in the background. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm thrilled by the fact that there are huge numbers of people who are attracted in ways that might scare other people to music like hip hop. Uh, there's a lot of anger in, in hip hop. Um, we need it. We need to have some way of letting that anger come up and giving us a safe experience of that. Otherwise it's gonna leak out and, it, and often it does. Uh, all too sadly, as we see in all of the synagogue shootings and church burnings and all the crazy that's going on in the world where people who don't have a good outlet for their anger, uh, express it in violence and, and in ways that harm people. Um, not a great thing, not a great thing. Mm. So it would, it would be foolish of me to try to tell somebody this is the music you need in that situation, but it would be amazing to work with someone who's in a situation wondering what music would help. You know, that's the opportunity. And um, the short answer to that is the music that you love. And you might love the same music as millions of other people. That's cool. But the effect on you is personal. Yeah. We need to get to that level, right? That's, that's where it really matters. Yeah, it's interesting because there's certain, from my knowledge and the research that I've done, is you'd, you'd say that certain levels or beats of music or vibrations of music would spark a certain mood and make you feel a certain way. So let me give you an example. So for me, Whenever I hear reggae, I can't listen to reggae and feel down. It just lifts me up. And most people yes. would associate reggae with good vibes, with lifting you up. But some people, you'll put reggae on and they'll be like, what the hell is this? This makes me angry. Turn it off. So it is really interesting what you're saying, that everyone is different and everyone will respond to it in different ways. It, it's it's got to be such a thrill for like Paul McCartney. <clears throat> he knows what the response is going to be to everything he's going to play. And in a way, that's very freeing. It's very liberating because he doesn't have to worry about introducing a new song and whether or not people are going to quote like it or <clears throat> even more what, how they'll respond to it. I think of uh, the most obscure like metal bands and alt rock bands. And I have a buddy who plays like jazz metal is his thing. And he's a multi-instrumentalist who listens to that stuff. Well, somebody does, but it might drive the rest of the world crazy. Even though there's this very important innovative thing going on musically, it may be completely unlistenable to the guy next door. Mm. Well, that's fine. But the musician is still doing something there that is very close to his or her heart. And, and bringing that stuff out is a huge risk. And standing in front of a, an audience and actually performing that, it, it could be like, you know, it, it's scary. It's just scary when you don't know what the response is going to be. But on the other hand, um, there are people out there who want to figure that stuff out. They want to know what new music is out there. They're on, they're music questers, right? They are, they're on an exploration for what music does it for them. Yeah. And uh, if jazz metal is your thing, <clears throat> that can really light you up if that's your thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. Wow. What is that? I got to hear more of that. Right. That feeling is so cool. 
I think if you're into if if music is is your jam and your bag, I think you're always on that musical journey, aren't you? We we said this, we had this conversation before we started recording that I'm discovering new types of music all the time and trying to open myself up to different areas. So I think that's a positive thing to just go down different avenues, listen to different genres, open your mind up to to different vibrations. I think that's important for sure. The safety of doing that is um, it, it, it's off the charts. You don't need anybody to approve your music. You'll know right away whether it's not for you. And of course, you'll turn it off. But the discipline of actually staying with a piece of music is, is tough. Um, the night I felt like taking my own life, it was hours I stayed with that music. The same song, a five-minute song, over and over. So the discipline of doing that is not often something that we uh, Westerners are, have practice in. We don't often engage that completely, all of our senses, in and around uh, something that is simply audible. There's too much distraction going on, right? That's the cars going by, whatever, and you're listening and you're hearing, but to be completely present with that often takes a concert or a concert hall to bring us completely into the moment of that music and what's happening there. Yeah, for sure. Most of my listeners are interested in becoming better versions of themselves, of improving their health, well-being on all different fronts. And I know we've spoken on different angles and different areas of health here. Let's just keep though with, with the mental health aspect, because this is huge now, particularly in the Western world, we're getting open to it a lot more now. PTSD is at all time high, suicide rates, uh, depression, etc. And I know you've dealt with these areas. Um, one of the big ones that I just want to touch on quickly, because a lot of people fear it. I've got it in my life with family at the moment is Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah. In the UK at the at the moment, I don't know what it's like over in the US, but in the UK, it is top five killer in the UK. Yeah. So this is a big area, Alzheimer's and dementia. How have you used this with people suffering with these conditions? How have you seen it help and how can it help with Alzheimer's and dementia music? So my colleagues in the music therapy world, and I'm not a music therapist, but my colleagues in the music therapy world, which is clinical, have had incredible experience with music, dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, the memories that you can still find and access by listening to music are perhaps the most deeply rooted ones. And those two diseases don't seem to touch those. Um, there's some amazing video out there that I'll share the URL with you later um, that you can watch. They made a, a documentary about this where they played music for people um, in care, dementia and Alzheimer's patients. And these people who had an effect that was completely flat began to sing and engage and talk. And it's, it's just marvelous. And the only thing that's happening is they're listening to music that they remember, that they love. And they don't remember it in a conscious way. They remember it in a heart way. It goes that deep. And that's what brings people alive. So in, even in the throes of dementia and Alzheimer's, there's still a way in, there's still a way to connect. Uh, it may not be a way that recognizes who we are, but it certainly recognizes this external thing, this sound that's happening as an, as an important part, of, a remembered part of that, that person's life. So when it comes to those areas, uh, music therapy is a great place for people who are experiencing Alzheimer's or dementia to find some relief. And, and of course, we have no idea what it must be like for those people because we can't say, well, how did that music you know, affect you, but we can see it. It's obvious. Mm -hmm. It shows up in their face. So um, in that clinical world, board certified music therapy, fantastic go there. Um, I became aware of another part of that that is very, very uh, poignant. And the statistics around it are, aren't great, but um, it's, it's a sad fact that most of the caregivers for Alzheimer and dementia's patients our family members. And oftentimes the family member um, will be survived by the Alzheimer's or dementia patient. It's that stressful to have a person who is dealing with those things in your life. And family members who care for their aging parents or whatever are very brave to do that. But that's the place where music can really work. Because, oh my gosh, so imagine that you're doing your regular job and then you also have a family member who needs care and it, for most of us, that means that that care is happening at our house. We can't afford to just institutionalize people or send them to a, a 
a, a home where they can have 24 seven care, that's expensive. Mm. And in many cases, it's, it's more expensive than a family's regular, uh, you know, monthly expenses would be. So how do you deal with that? Well, if you're the caregiver, the lay caregiver in many cases, um, do you need relief? You need support? You, you sure do. And one of the early experiences I had with that was working with a group of, uh, that was organized to care for the caregivers, Alzheimer's and dementia caregivers, and being able to, sh to share tools with them that they could use musically to give themselves a little relief throughout their day, which, as you can imagine, is way more than 24-7 in many cases. It's, it's not an easy, uh, neither of the diseases are easy to deal with. And, and we get it on a, an emotional level, too, because when your own mother doesn't recognize you, Mm. You know, there's an emotional component to that that is so sad. And you have to have a way to support that. Otherwise, it, it will just wear you down and, and, and take you off the, off, out of the scene. It, you know, you'll, you'll be in care yourself if you don't have a way of unpacking that. And there's no time and just it, it's impossible to, uh, to do anything good for yourself unless you can grab these little snippets. And maybe in the car, just driving back and forth is the place where you go to your music and allow it, you know, to come and, and, and be there for you in a mindful way. Um, we have this trend though, which is helping. Uh, the stigma around post-traumatic stress, the stigma around mental health, uh, the stigmas that used to be there, where we had this fear of people who weren't like us, that's starting to subside. And people who are stressed are starting to realize they have this in common with other people who are stressed. Maybe the reasons are different, but they share the, they share the pain. So as we destigmatize all of the crazy things, and I think this may be going on now around suicide too. Uh, people have always looked at suicide at a distance, but it's so close to us now that we have to take a, a, a candid look at it and wonder why it's happening and have the conversations, even though they're uncomfortable. So that's helping us to get to a place too where we're ready for a therapeutic intervention or for some form of care we hadn't considered before. And um, obviously what's going on worldwide with caregivers, lay caregivers like you and me, uh, we need to have that conversation. We can't do it alone. And this, uh, these crazy things that are happening to us in the world these days are forcing us to be closer together on the solutions. We're reaching out in ways we haven't had to reach out before. That's a good thing. And music as a connector does a great job of booing our, our journey through that. We may not be able to fix what's wrong, but by going through it together, it's a whole lot better than going through it by yourself, especially if you've got um, like a buddy system, the way they do in the military, you go together because you can't just go alone and solve the problem. You've got to take a team of people with you who are already and on the same page with you. That, that's happening in our mental health care world as well. And it's a beautiful thing, you know, from not, not so much trained clinicians, but folks like you and me who are just in it we share that and we can move through that together um, with, with music to mind us. You know, let's become, we become aware of it. Just that extra little pop to give you the, the, the five minutes that you need on your own or the three seconds that you can get on your own to remember it. Maybe it's an earworm that, go, that won't go away. Well, it's got something for you. There's, there's some goodness in that for you, as annoying as it is. Yeah. Music's a super powerful tool. We, yeah. we, can, we can use it as well for all areas. I mean, we've spoke, I mean, this is a health and fitness and wellness podcast. So we've spoken primarily about health, but there is, there is other areas that it can help with, um, including like memory and learning and, and that as well. And we touched brief it briefly before we started recording about different frequencies and different brain waves and areas that music can inhibit and help. Um, can you just touch on those briefly and, and, and how we can use m music to get into sort certain different states of consciousness or different types of frequencies in terms of brain waves, so that we can work on different aspects that we want to work on. Sure. Uh, choosing a vibration is, uh, and syncing up with that vibration is an awesome thing. Um, when you, they, they tell me now, when you encounter somebody new for the first time, uh, neurologically you're responding subconsciously to that person. And I guess if you were to measure that, hook yourself up to a functional MRI, you'd see some parts of the brain lighting up around those things. Yeah. 
and we can't all walk around with a functional MRI like on our notepad, but we're aware of that. We have this internal sort of guidance system that responds to the energy of another person. Now, it could be vibrational energy, it could be visual energy. Um, it, 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 some people call it an aura, but that awareness that is more than a mental awareness is part of what music is engaging you with. It, it takes you to that level. Um, putting yourself in a place where you have a practice of that, like learning how to do that better, can help you in many ways to, to sort of keep your focus in, in a new way. You can give yourself that kind of energy by what you hear. And um, lots of us will talk about taking a walk in the forest or taking a walk on the beach. Uh, part of that experience is oral. It, you're able to hear things that are outside of your normal hearing experience. And the science on walking in the forest, as people in Japan know, is that it's very calming. It gives them an opportunity to dial back the stress just by walking in the forest. Uh, the sounds of the ocean will do that too. So if you're listening to birds or crickets or the waves of the, of the, of the ocean coming in on the beach, um, you're hearing a very specific kind of sound. And in that sound, there's sound and silence, sound and silence, sound and silence, like our heartbeat. You've got thump, thump, silence, thump, thump, silence, thump, thump, silence. So part of sound is that silence. If we were to take a couple of hearts and start them beating at the same time, um, they wouldn't precisely sync up. And in that little tiny space where they don't quite sync up, there's still sound waves in the air, but they're interfering with each other. They're interfering with each other in a very specific way like hearing many crickets all together. It might sound like just this buzz, but in every one of those little chirps, there's silence where the cricket's wings are not striking, right? And putting those things together, they're not all in phase, like the lightning bugs in Taiwan that all blinked at the same time. The crickets are not all in phase, they're slightly off. And that slight offness creates a very interesting kind of silence. If you've flown on a, um, a dual engine plane, you're sitting at the end of the runway and they spin up the engines and everything is like coming up to the same RPM. But while it's not, you're able to hear this wah, 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 wah until things sync up and then it's just mm, everything syncs together. That wah, 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 or the tiny silence where the crickets are chirping together out of phase or the waves rolling in and creating that whoosh, there's a, what we call a binaural beat in that. It's where one ear is getting a, a vibration at a certain wavelength and the other one is getting it at a different wavelength. They're slightly out of phase. So there's this silence that happens in between the two. The silence is magic because if you tailor it properly, it'll resonate within your system the same way that that encounter with somebody you haven't met the first time resonates within your system. You just know something about that. It triggers something inside you. It's not a mental uh, linear thing. It's a, it's a resonance thing. Uh, piano tuners use this when they're tuning pianos. They can hear the beats, we call them beats, uh, when they're trying to make a pitch true between two strings. If it's off slightly, it'll be like and as they true it up, it'll get instead of and that's, that's how pianos are tuned. And um, this, this binaural beat resonance out there um, obviously comes in different frequencies. And you hear about it as white noise or pink noise or theta waves or beta waves. All of these things that are out there uh, describe different frequencies of the beat. It's not so much the pitch. You know, it could be, a, this is the pitch, but if you're wah, 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 it's, it's the frequency of the wah, 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 wah that, that we're interested in. It's actually the silence that we're interested in where there's no sound, but there's that collision of the waveforms that creates a beat. That beat is really, really healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, my buddy, who I mentioned, who's schizophrenic, uses binaural beats to also dial himself back. He can't listen to regular music. It, it makes him nuts. But binaural beats will dial him down, just like Metallica dials him down. And he layers them up. He'll listen to like four different binaural beats at once. It takes that much to get him to focus in. So this is powerful stuff. Um, there's a great app called Brainwave. If you've got the smartphone, I think it works iOS and Android. Um, Brainwave gives you a way of being able to play these binaural beats at different frequencies. 
Yeah. And they actually give you an easy way in, like morning coffee is a binaural beat that you can listen to, or study, or espresso shot, right? So they have the things tailored around the effect that you might experience from listening to it. Yeah. Yeah, I've used, I've used binaural beats and different frequencies extensively recently um, in three main areas. And just want to point this out to the listeners and you as well. Yes. That the first one, sleep. And I don't think a lot of people realize how you can use music for sleep or frequencies for sleep because most people are like, you can't have sound, you can't have noise because you won't sleep properly. But if, like you said, if you get the right vibration, the right frequency, the right beat, it can, I've been put it on and like that, I'm off to sleep. Oh, yeah. So, You're out. Yeah. yeah. So sleep's a massive area where you can use this. And the next one for me personally is meditation. And I know a lot of people struggle to meditate and they can't get into that phase or that state of meditation and using binaural beats or solfeggio or any kind of frequencies like that can really help get you into that meditative state. And the final one you mentioned it a second ago is focus is being focused. So when I'm ever doing some writing, uh, blogging, that kind of stuff, I've used more classical, traditional kind of classical beats to help me focus. So those are three key areas that people a lot of the time struggle with sleep, meditation, focus, that music can really help with, aren't they? They are. Um, I know you're investigating classical music and there's a huge difference between an orchestra on stage and uh, a five person band. Um, when you have instruments that resonate, acoustic instruments that resonate, they naturally produce overtones. Uh, you don't get an overtone out of a, uh, a keyboard, even though it might be programmed. It doesn't, it doesn't vibrate the same way as an acoustic instrument. But an orchestra of 100 people are all creating these incredible overtones and vibrations. But the other thing that happens is they're creating the binaural beats. You don't necessarily hear them in the, in, the, in the wash of the music that's coming at you, but they're there in an acoustic concert. And uh, when people go unplugged, this is what they're after. They're after that authentic resonance that doesn't really come from electronic instruments. And there's there's about both, right? But if you're, if you're looking for the maximum impact of music, the music that you need has got to have the most tension and release. That's a binaural beat right there. So the tension of the top of the waveform, the release of the crest of the waveform, if you can find music that has the most of that in it, you'll be doing the most good for yourself because that's like our bodies are resonators. So that tension and release is a great thing for us to mirror. Binaural beats do that. The orchestra does that. Uh, not so much in, in music that's thin. It has a different purpose and it works on us in a different way. So you're, you're right on in looking at this and, and trying to investigate where it is that the music you need really comes from and how to get it. Um, I think when you said meditation, I thought of uh, this amazing recording I have called Hearing Solar Winds. It was made in the 70s in Spain someplace. It's two of them throat singers. Those guys who can sing multiple pitches yeah. at the same time. And you can hear the binaural beats very clearly in that recording of these six or seven people just sitting inside this dome singing these amazing uh, pitches. And it's so therapeutic. Puts me to sleep right away. <laughs> totally. Put this, I'm out like that, right? Yeah. I think as well what we've touched on and we've kind of veered off topic a little bit is that when we think of music, when we say the word music, we always think of instruments and people singing or maybe dance beats. But music as well is just it's sound, isn't it? It's, 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 it's nature sounds and you mentioned the waves and the crickets and stuff. And one of, one of mine and my wife's personal favorites is we put tropical storms on to go to sleep. So we put yeah. the thunder, uh, sorry, the light, the thunder and the, and the sounds of, of the rainforest on and that, that just works a treat for us. So I don't yes. think we should put music in a box as of it being instruments and singing. It's also the sounds that nature gives us as well. The, the science on the musical tension release is also bleeding over into um, what they call EMDR, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. It's an amazing trauma release tool. It takes the energy off of trauma like you wouldn't believe. And all it is is an orbiting between a left and a right stimulus. So your, your left and right brain are alternately triggered. And that can be done audibly. It could be done by tapping. Um, it could be done by using your eyes to follow a light bar. But just getting that left and right, what they call a bilateral stimulation going, oh, that's, 
that's therapeutic. That's healing. You don't even need to engage with it. It's just happening and you can have the results. The woman who discovered this discovered it by walking around. <laughs> she was just walking and she realized that the left-right motion of walking had created this opportunity for change. Well, that's binaural beats. That's playing music, drumming. Anything that does that left-right, we'll let, we'll let it go. So when you're listening to those nature sounds, that same kind of left-right, the, the bilateral stem is going on and, and releasing amazing stuff that you know, we're not always aware of until we find out about it. Yeah, same with uh, a lot of cultures use chanting, and and you mentioned the drumming as well. But yes. chanting, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's it's all going to the same place. Yeah, physiologically, it's the same thing. Yeah, awesome. Okay, I think we're going to start wrapping things up, Bill. But there's a couple of ways I want to end the show. Um, before we wrap things up, if I could ask you, and you could leave the listeners or the or the viewers with one or two key things they can do almost as soon as they've stopped listening to this in terms of using music for for health or therapy what would those one to two things be oh the biggest one is uh, change your music change your life if you're at a place where you're feeling stuck um, explore some new music see how that changes you uh, if you dislike it ask yourself why instead of just turning it off ask yourself why it's like what is it about this that isn't working for me so that's a great way to become conscious and also to get an, an, a quick pop, right? I mentioned the all-sugar diet. Well, that isn't such a great thing. But if your music is an all-sugar diet, you need more. You need some more substance in that. And as you add that, you're going to find that your, the way that you are in the world will change just by changing your music. It sounds crazy, but try it out because it works. So that's the very biggest thing that I'd leave, leave anyone with today who wants to make a change. Change your music. Change your music. Um, yeah. Great. There's one other thing. Well, there's two more things. One other thing is that I didn't prep you for, and I apologize, is we always finish my show with a favorite quote. And you said a really good one then, so I don't know if you want to reuse that one. But we always finish with a favorite quote, and this could be one of your own or one that you live by or something that inspires you. Can you just leave us with a bit of a, a favorite quote to finish? Yeah, I'll go back to the one I use. With great power comes great responsibility. Um, there's an untapped potential in sound and rhythm. and Back in the day, we were very well aware of it, but it's, it's coming back. And it's certainly easy to engage with. So when you do find out how you respond to music, um, use that wisely. Use it for good. Brilliant. Can you finish the show with a song? With a, uh -huh. yeah. I wish I had something prepared, I, and I don't. I've been trying to play um, and record Desperado for a long, long time. So maybe that's the thing to use. Do you want to take us out? I'll just start playing. You can use it as, as bump music. Just, yeah, just play as a little something to finish. <laughs> oh, sure. Easy to do.
Yes. Awesome. That was amazing. I'll knock it off for one of these days. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Well, let's uh, keep in touch and I wish you all the success for the future. Thank you very much and to you as well. Thank you, Bill. There you go. Another fantastic episode. Bill sharing his knowledge and wisdom there on everything music orientated and how it can help you with your overall health and well-being. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. If you did, please don't forget to share it with your friends, family, colleagues, simply by telling them about this podcast. That goes a long way. But also you can do a screenshot, share it on your social media, tag me in it, Ali West Fitness, and I will share it with all of my followers as well. Don't forget to subscribe and leave that voice note, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast. And that's it for this week. Don't hesitate to get in touch if you have any more questions or you need help with your health and fitness and well-being. I am here to help you. Until I speak to you again very, very soon, have a great week. Keep healthy, keep positive, and I will speak to you all again very soon. Peace and love.